In episode 66 of MobyCast, John and Chris discussed using feature flags to increase velocity and decrease risk in your CI CD pipeline. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, hey guys. Good to be back. Right on. So today we get to talk, we're going to go straight into it. We get to talk about feature flags, which are hot. You know, everybody has already kind of started working on their CI, CD pipeline. That's less of a thing that, uh, you know, people are at least doing something to have a CI, CD pipeline pretty much across the board, all new projects. It's a consideration, I would say. So now it's like, let's work on the CD part of the CI, CD pipeline. Let's actually start thinking about continuous deployment and new projects and existing projects. I think a lot of a lot of folks doing DevOps and working working in the public clouds, Google Cloud, AWS, Azure are like, let's take advantage of some of this capability and start to think about whether we can deploy things automatically or at least at the quick press of a button. And so I think today we're going to talk about some pain that Kelsis has with some of you know one or more of our projects and what we'd like to do about it. Specifically, we we feel that some of this pain we can resolve with feature flags. So we're going to describe kind of the, what those are and how they're related to our current CI/CD process, and then how they could help us. So, Chris, maybe you can kind of take take what I said and make it more concrete. Yeah, sure. So, you know, so you talked about hey, we have this you know modern CI/CD pipeline, and, and what does that mean? And so, there's really the two pieces to it, right? There's the continuous integration part, it's the CI, and then the CD part, that's the continuous deployment. So it's integration and it's deployment. So you know, integration means like hey, we're writing code. Many folks on the team are writing code. We we need to get that code all together, merged, integrated, and tested, right? So that's and and so the the philosophy behind continuous integration is that that's constantly happening, and you know, teams have to decide what kind of what kind of workflow they're going to use. You know, one of the popular ones out there is like GitFlow. Um, which is kind of prescribes a way of using branches in your source control system and when you, when you do merges and bring the stuff together. And so like for us personally, we, we, we definitely use a, a GitFlow uh, philosophy where we end up having branches for each one of the environments that we're deploying to, right? So if we have three different environments, we have production, staging, and development, then there's three branches in Git that that manage that. And it works pretty well, but where it gets kind of tricky is when we have issues with, hey, we need some, we need to, to take bits and pieces of, of code and move them from an environment to, from one environment to another one. And we'll get more into this later, but... Um, and Chris, just, I just want to add that we did talk quite a bit about this in another episode that we did last year. We just talked about our overall CICD pipeline and what it looks like. And so we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. And it, it's for the most part, it's it hasn't changed too much. And it, I think we're... We're looking at doing a you know a new phase on it, and that's what this episode is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good good point. So, definitely, um, folks may want to refer back to that to that previous episode. So, and I just want to have, like so. There's the continuous integration part, and the and and branching and merging, and how you do that. Normally, in a perfect world, everything goes really smoothly, but in real life, it gets sometimes it can get a little bit tricky. 
And it's and easy to imagine, right? It's like, I do stuff on dev, I move it to stage, I move it to prod, and I'm done. And then I do that over and over and over again, happily ever after. Right, and that, that's the way it always works, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. just a perfect world. It's like everything just, it's like a conveyor belt, and it's all just always going in that flow. And the truth matters, is it doesn't work that way, right? You find out, it's like, oh, no, we did deploy to production, and there is a pretty big bug that we now have to hurry up and fix. We need to test it first, so we need that in staging. But what's in staging right now is actually the next big release that's not fully tested yet. So we definitely don't want that to go to prod. So now, how do we how do we actually make that hot fix and only deploy that to prod and not all the the stuff that's on tap, right? And that's that's the part that gets you start getting hair around the situation <laughs> and where something like feature flags are going to help us out. Right. And you don't want to, I mean, I guess one thing you could do is, is like revert staging to where prod, what, you know, prod is and then fix it on staging and then move staging to prod, but then such an interruption, right? Oh, it's, 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 it's an interruption. It's risky. Sometimes it's not even, I mean, depending on where, where you're at, like it may not even be possible, right? Like think about like if the, what you're working on staging actually involved like database migration. So you've changed schema. Like, <laughs> I mean, and you're, maybe the hotfix that you need on prod is not one that can wait an hour or two. It needs to be on there in the next few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so you do what everyone else does, right? And you SSH into your prod server. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Get pull. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. So that's the CI part. The CD part is okay. Now that you're integrating, that's all good. And then deployment just means like, hey, it's it's just automatically. It's it's just being continually deployed out there into prod. And you know that that's definitely um, has its issues. There's actually not a lot of folks out there that that do this because it does require a fair amount of sophistication. In the past. I've kind of been like for me, like the 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 criteria for being able to participate in continuous deployment meant that you had to have really good testing um, and automated testing as a system. Um, and then two, you also had the ability to roll back. But those are really kind of more typical of a um, kind of like all or nothing releases, uh, blue green deployments versus if you have something like feature flags that actually gives you some more flexibility here and you can do have a more um, progressive approach to deployments where it's not an all or nothing rather it's an incremental type thing and so you know we'll we'll get into that more but just kind of wanted to highlight that you know we all talk about CICD everyone's doing it everyone's talking about it but feature flags really kind of factor into this to kind of help out with some of the real world production issues that you have it and, and they can enable you to increase your velocity and, and also decrease that risk associated with it so I want to try to distill the two main problems that I think you described that, that we're going to try to solve with feature flag the one I heard of was that it's not always dev stage prod dev stage prod so we have to be able to get stuff into prod directly or stuff in the dev or stage directly. And then the other problem that I heard you say is things are not perfect even after they've been tested. And sometimes, especially after they've been tested, it's like as hard as you work to create a team that that's, you know, takes great pride of ownership in their work and really exercises everything that they did. The reality is the problems happen and they make their way into production. So how can we limit that, limit the damage? So those are the two things, right? Was there mm -hmm. a third or yep. those, the, those, are, those are the two primary things. So if you take, you know, the two takeaways, those are it. 
So increase, we need to, we have problems with velocity and that's, that's related to this just continuous integration part in the merging and it's not perfect. And we have, we have issues there and that causes us to slow down and we have to do extra work or uh, just do unnatural things. And then the second part of it is like, well, if we're working on a big feature, releasing it to prod, you know, and now having a bunch of users, you know, now they're seeing that, like, how confident are we that that it's been really fully tested? And, you know, what are the ramifications of that? And some for certain things, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But if it's like, kind of like a, a core piece of functionality, or it's something that the business really relies on, um, mission critical, right? Like the, the risk is much higher with something like that. So with feature flags, there's a way to, we can reduce that risk. Cool. So that's the moment we've been waiting for. What is a feature flag? <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I mean, just definitely not too terribly exciting. It, it's it's essentially just a conditional statement. So what you're what you're doing is in your code, you're just saying like, if if feature is enabled, if this feature is enabled, then go ahead and execute this code path. Else, do this other path. And it's 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 really. It's really just that simple. It's just a it's just a conditional statement that's demark. You have to so you do when you it is something that you don't get for free, right? Like you have to be thinking about this when you're writing code, and you have to think of your code in the way of should this be enabled or not, and if it's not enabled, then what's what is it going to do? So you need to think of when you're writing your code in that in that manner, and then actually put in these these conditional statements. Right. And so at, at their core, that's what they what they are. It's a, it's a conditional statement that's wrapping a particular block of code that you may or may not want to enable based upon some set of conditions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. OK, so so that makes sense. That's easy enough. But I'm I'm immediately like imagining them all over the place. Oh my God, how much how much code should I start or stop from happening? How do I even remember where they are or how many there are? Like I've, I'm just imagining spaghetti as soon as you say this. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can get into a little bit more what you're thinking we might be able to do to kind of keep this manageable and clean and usable. That, I, I do want to go there, but I guess maybe before we go there, we should also talk about, okay, so you do it. Now, what do you do with it? Like, okay, we have this code that can be turned on and off. What are we going to do, do about it? Yeah, right. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot to um, to unpack there you know so maybe we can we can talk a little bit more about just like feature flags themselves and kind of expand a little bit on that definition and and okay. types of feature flags then after that we can just go through and and just talk about like okay what does this what does this enable us like we, we do all this work and like you've you've alluded to like a lot of the challenges that we have with feature flags so like again you this is not something you get for free. There are challenges with this. There's a reason why lots of people don't have a rich, robust system that has feature flags in it. It's not easy. Like this is this is complicated stuff, and it really is easy too for it to just to to, to for the wheels of the bus to come off quickly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So so we'll get into that too. Like what the challenge is, like you know what like what's the implementation philosophy? Like how do you go and do this? And there's there's definitely a crawl walk run approach to it. And then how do you also manage it? And those are like interesting, important topics that we can we can kind of get into as much as we as we want to. But so maybe just to kind of talk a little bit more about the feature flags. So we talked about 
it's a conditional ex expression and you know definitely at the at the very least you have like you define this flag by a name right so you have to give it some kind of name or some way of, of referring referring to it so there's there's that aspect to it and then optionally if you're something that's more powerful and more sophisticated you you would also provide context um, to this so based upon name and context that is what feeds into your decision in that conditional expression on whether or not this should be enabled and so the again the the, the base version might be like hey there's no we're not going to take any context into into account here it's really just a toggle right it's either on or off and so you may have something that's just hard-coded a constant in your code, right? You could imagine like in your config, you have something like use v1 equals true. And your feature flag ends up being something like, yeah, if use v1, do this, do the v1 code branch. And then if it's not, then it's using the v0 branch or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Versus context might be like, this, this is completely arbitrary, right? Like it's sure. kind of up to you and like how you want to make these decisions on whether or not to enable the, the feature flag. But it could be like, here's my user context, like who's, what user is actually calling this? Or it could be something about the environment that you're in. Um, it could be something related to, you know, more macro settings or metadata that's going on in the system. So whatever it is that you want to use, state the information that you want to use in order to, to make these kinds of decisions. Right. Yeah, I can imagine a feature flag turning on a feature for a certain set number of users or named users or only during times when traffic in the system is low, like all kinds of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. It's, it can be super powerful. So there's so we so we have these these conditional expressions. They're defined by a, a flag name and optionally some context. Probably should also talk about like so so and that involves basically these conditionals are either basically static conditionals or they're dynamic. So we talked about kind of like the static part. Like this is hard coded. It's based upon some you know, constant or configuration, not really changing. It's just, it's basically a toggle versus dynamic is like, Hey, I'm passing on this context and at runtime and in real time, making these decisions, decisions on whether or not this code path should be taken. I mean, another thing to point out is that feature flags can be thought of as either temporary or permanent. So it may be like you're, again, you're working on a, a new version, you know, V2 of something and with the, the intent that you're going to deprecate V1 um, so that you may have a feature flag in there for, you know, V2 versus V1. And at some point after you've fully migrated over to the V2, this flag doesn't make sense anymore, right? You just want to go in and delete it all. So that, that would be an example of a temporary feature flag versus a permanent one might be, you know, it's, it's something that's going to be there forever. And it may be, you know, you have like an advanced feature that's only for a certain set of users and that's feature flag. And so that's going to be something that's probably going to be there for in a more permanent, permanent basis. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's feature flags, you know, in general. Um, so what are some of the benefits that we want? Like, why would we, why would we do this? Right. And maybe as we go through and talk about this, we can also just talk about our own experiences of just real life day to day of the projects that we're on and the, the, the software that we're deploying and some of the real world challenges that we have. I know me personally, some of the projects that I'm involved with, um, I really wish that we had more capabilities in this area because it's, Again, for some of the for some of the reasons that we talk about, the challenges that we have with the with the continuous integration, the merging, um, and then also the continuous deployment, the re, the the risk of deploying new features, these 
feature flags would would be very beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, so as far as like, what can you do with these feature flags? I mean, again, one of the really big things that you can do is you can reduce your risk here. And primarily you're, what you're, what's, what's happening is you're decoupling, deploying from releasing, which is like, a, that's a big deal. So it's like, you can deploy yeah. to prod the code, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're releasing that code. Like maybe no one has seen that code yet. It's it's still dormant, right? You haven't activated it, right? Right. So you're decoupling that, and that gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of power. Right. Yeah, boy, I want to do that on a couple of things that are coming up. I'm thinking of Zoopix, a couple of features that we're about to release mm-hmm. um, that that are just you know world changing features. And it's like if if something goes wrong, it doesn't look good if everybody sees it. Yeah. As much as we test, I can't be a hundred percent confident that, that it's perfect until people actually actually use it in production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some with the reducing of the risk, like, I mean, it, it allows you to, to segment your users too, right? So you kind of literally, like, you can deploy that and maybe, you know, you have thousands of users or a hundred thousands of users, but you can set it up so that, hey, it's only a small subset of these folks are going to see it. So, you know, that's going to be part of that context and the feature flag and the conditional. And now it's only, you know, instead of thousands and thousands of people seeing it, maybe it's only 20 or 50 or 100. And so you've, you've really reduced the risk there, right, by, by being able to, to control on a, on a user basis, like who, who gets to see this. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. You know, one of the other things that helps reduce risk is that we we always have the challenge of, of testing, and especially when, you know, around data. So it's like we, you know, we try to build yeah. environments that reflect production, right? And you can go so far as to take like snapshots of production databases and, and uh, restore them to, you know, other environments and whatnot. But, you know, that's kind of problematic and, and it may not be allowed in some, you know, high compliance environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, you know, so it, it is a it is a challenge to be able to do testing in a in a staging environment that really mimics production, right? Like the only thing that really mimics production is production. So feature flags help reduce this risk by allowing us to actually test in prod, which kind of sounds crazy, right? Like what? We want to test in production? But when you're minimizing, like, again, the, the scope of this and who's who's seeing it, it kind of like turns that on its on its head and, and gives you, again, a lot of flexibility and power there it, while reducing the risk and the impact of that. I mean, the, there are some implementation details and challenges that, you know, we are kind of like glossing over a bit. But in general, the principle is, is absolutely solid and it applies there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this this feels like it could be a lot of software to write. It feels like you're basically building if, if you're doing this and you're really doing it well you've got an admin tool that's letting you go in and say who's going to be able to see the thing and who isn't and you're going to be able to or you're going to be able to do things like control percentages of who gets a new feature and it's like hey wait we're already pretty busy doing stuff you know meeting the needs of the business i don't really have time to write a feature flag system so what what do you say about that absolutely i mean this is a this can be very sophisticated and especially if you want to get the most power out of it it's a lot of work 
for sure. And it's a lot of it's a lot of code. It's a lot of design, and just really thinking things through. Like, how do you want to? What is a feature, and what is a feature that should have enablement versus disablement? How do you name the things? How do you manage these these things? Is it you know? Is it a config file? Is it a database? Is it a full blown feature management service. So these are all um, you know, real world things that you have to consider. But I'd say, again, it's crawl, walk, run. And you know, I think there's value in just no matter where you're at to just start thinking this way and you know, starting simple. And so there's actually, I mean, this is, this is I mean, there, there very much is a kind of like, a, I think a standard evolution for everyone that does work like this, where almost everyone starts off at the beginning with like, I'm just going to have a feature toggle and it's going to be basically hard coded. And if I'm going to change it, it means just a, a code change and redeploy. But that's, that's, that's how you start, right? So, you know, you can think about in your project, like if you have a certain feature that you're, you know, not sure about, or you just, it's a bigger feature and you just want to em- employ this kind of technique on it, then go ahead and, and just, do it as a, as a feature toggle and be very strategic, right? So you don't have to go immediately create a hundred features, feature flags or feature toggles. Pick a, pick a you know, start with one. Um, and then maybe it goes out to, to, to a handful or something like that. And that might be, you know, what you do for three, three, six months and just kind of get your feet wet on that. And then just, you can, you can go from there. I think it's, it's much more difficult to adopt these you know feature flags and in, in legacy systems and ongoing systems it becomes much more work just to do the refactoring right and to um to put these things to decorate your code appropriately versus if you're starting from scratch obviously this becomes a lot easier so when you are starting from scratch i think you have a, a lot more flexibility there and a lot more leeway to think about this more long term and to maybe put in more of the plumbing for for doing that if you if you do decide like hey this is a, a philosophy a design philosophy I really want to adopt. So I have two things still that I'm, I want to get at. So one is I'm a little surprised that when I talked about how you're practically building a whole other product just to manage your feature flags once it gets fairly sophisticated. I was a little surprised you didn't mention that there are commercial products out there that help you do that. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's companies that have sprung up to go, to go deal with this, this issue launched darkly is 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 one such startup came out of some of the the folks that worked at Atlassian where Atlassian made heavy use of feature flags and so they they saw this I mean I'm sure that uh-huh. they, they ended up me that Atlassian made heavy use of feature yeah. flags yeah. <laughs> so I mean obviously they had their own internal tools and services that they right. built to do this and so like hey we should go turn this into a product I'm I'm sure it was the, the thought process sure. right so I met the folks at, at a couple of the folks from Lunch Darkly at Glucon a couple of years ago and they were they were good people I and mm-hmm. I would say you know nothing no tool can solve the problem of making the decisions of what part of your code to run and what not to run and understanding the context around that decision all a thing like Lunch Darkly can do is give you a nice view of what's running and what isn't and being able to turn knobs on that yeah yeah that it's 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 a great point and you know maybe more more bluntly is like say like the hard work is on your back um Mm -hmm. like these tools like they they're not going to be able to do the hard work for you like Mm -hmm. you have to do it and they just make it so that some of that like um undifferentiated heavy lifting is done by other people to borrow the aws terminology but you know you have to do the hard work of 
again, the design, like what is, what should be a, a feature flag? How am I going to make my decisions? Like what's that context? Yeah. You know, what are expiration policies on it? How am I going to do segmentation? How am I going to manage who's allowed to change these feature flags, right? Like that's a big, big uh, area that you have to kind of um, deal with as well um, just the administrative policies around it because obviously like if you do something like i'm gonna change this feature flag so it goes out to 100 percent of the users instead of it really should only go out to two percent like that could cause major problems yeah and i guess the, in launch Starkly's defense there there is kind of a general pattern that maybe a lot of products might use so if your context is typically typically going to be users or, or user session then you might be able to say hey launch Starkly, you know here's where you go find out who's logged in at, at the moment and like you know that integration kind of is expected and assumed and maybe a little easier but but still it doesn't it doesn't get in your code and turn on and off features it doesn't know what your features even are yeah and, and just because like say you you have to do the hard work um that doesn't mean that something like launch darkly shouldn't be part of that right like you still like if you if you do get to the level of sophistication like where you do need a feature management service then you should really think long and hard about whether or not you go roll your own versus oh, go sure. do something like launch darkly right sure. so you know this is this is why they exist they've gone and raised almost 80 million dollars i think in investment capital Wow, um, they've been around since 2014. Um, thinking about this, so you know, like, yeah, you should you should be looking to leverage that infrastructure that's there. But again, just realize like they can't do everything for you, right? Like they they can't go. I mean, you, there's nothing's changing the fact that you have to go make code changes. Right, like you can't use launch darkly without doing code changes. Right. Another thing that so I said there were two things that I still wanted to dig into. The other the other one was. I, it's just something that occurred to me at the beginning of the conversation. You know, you want to you want to kind of close off access to certain features, and it feels like a good place. And a, a lot of times, if you're if your software is user facing, and there's something that you don't want users to use yet because it's new, you may be able to just put your feature flags in the UI. And I was wondering if there's if that's like a no no or an okay thing in your mind. So basically, don't show this UI if the feature is turned off. And then maybe the whole backend API is on and available and available to everyone. And who cares because only the people with the client that can see the UI that activates that backend are, are able to actually exercise. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's just totally up to you on a case by case basis on what makes sense. So it's like if you if you're controlling. So it, so if you have like a typical microservice architecture where you've got like you know front end JavaScript clients like running React or whatever like that, you have a back end RESTful microservice that's that's implementing an API that's called by those clients. If if no one else is the if if those those are the only API subscribers that you have to that, then maybe you just feature flag on the front end, you know, so that the JavaScript's not making those calls and you don't worry about feature flagging on the back end on whether or not you you handle those calls because no one, you kind of just by design, no one's going to make those calls unless it's your, your front end UI clients. And so you probably save yourself quite a bit of hassle by, by doing it that way if it is if it's that clean, if you have, you know, other clients or if it's, you're more of a, a public service and, and, and public API, then, you know, that's, that's a different story. So it, it's just, it's just, I think it's just on a case by case basis. And I would err on the side of what's most pragmatic for you. Cool. 
Well, I am sitting in an armchair, so I think I'll do a little bit more armchair architecture. It would seem to me that if you're approaching this and you're you're just doing crawl, walk, run, that a good principle might be to try to limit the amount of code that's flagged off, like keep it small and keep it, try to keep it in, in as much as possible, like known and expected places. So, so like if there's a place where you have all your front door code, if you can kind of limit it to like the feature flag, like turns on and off, like these just two or three lines of code and not like this huge 500 line method that and it needs to be at the beginning and the end or at the beginning and the middle. You see what I mean? Like if there's a way you can organize your code to where the feature flag is like very, very clearly turning off a tiny part of it and turning on a tiny part of it, it seems like it would be e easier for everyone to understand. And I'm, I'm just saying this because people might be out there, you know, thinking about how they're going to implement this in their own projects. And, and it seems like it could be useful to think about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, this goes to just uh, things like modularity, yes. refactoring. And like, I think probably ideally you'd be, You'd be doing this like at the function level, right? So mm -hmm. if flag enabled, you call this function. If not, then call this function type thing. And and where it's just again, maybe it's just a function call in the body of these of these conditional blocks. Um, right. And right. then it's that's where you're you're implementing the the different um, aspects are in those functions, which may be, I mean, those should be you know refactored. And maybe they're actually end up using a lot of the exact same code. Right. Um, right. They're for the refactored, but it's like the the differences are entailed in that. So it, the code Code ends up reading really nice, right? You can kind of right. see it's like, okay, here's where it goes to do a new feature, and here's where it is for the existing or the fallback feature. Right. And the other advantage that you get from that is not just modularity, but but like, I mean, I again, ideally, it's like you want as much as possible. You don't want to have multiple huge different code paths with different logic all sort of alive and active and doing things because that's more surface area of things to go wrong. So as much as as much as your code that's like the same should be not, you know, should be like should be the same. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know a better way to say that, but just no duplicate code where possible. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, you know, definitely thinking about, again, like what's your policy on like what's feature flag? versus not kind of can get really tricky quickly mm -hmm. if you start feature flagging within feature flags oh my god right like so you probably you definitely want to be thinking that through and if you start finding yourself like at the at the top level it's you know a branch between you know you have two you know two options right and then each time that you have another feature flag within those that's now it's it's a, it's a binary tree, right? And so before you know it, maybe that's sixteen different code paths, and becomes oh. pretty pretty messy pretty pretty quickly. And so, what's that level of granularity for what is a feature flag that, that just, atomic unit? Right, Chris, and that just reminded me of a talk you and I both went to in Denver uh, a year or two ago with Strava, where they talked about one way they use feature flags that was really cool and interesting. I think it's worth repeating here. You know, when they build a new feature and they're not sure somebody, you know, they're just not sure if it really is good enough for this core product and they just want to get a sense if people like it or not. They don't want to subject that, the development of that feature to the stringent, you know, code requirements they have for all the rest of the stuff inside the Strava application. They just want to let people kind of, you know, crank something out, very lightly tested, just, I can't remember the word for this, like, it's just essentially the, a lean process, right? So just get it in front of a few people, see how they like it, and then and but in the production code base, right? Like really real Strava, not some beta version of Strava. Mm -hmm. And so they would use feature flags for that, turn them on for just a few people, and then get get feedback, and then turn it off, and then rewrite the code using their their code, their development and engineering guidelines, like throw away all the code and start over. And that was a way of them controlling technical debt, but also still being able to be very lean and fast. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really similar to like A-B test and just kind of mm -hmm. like just vetting a, a feature and whether or not this is getting getting user feedback, right? So yeah. it becomes a very low risk, easy way of doing it. Again, very, very common, right? Like so many of the big companies do this. Netflix does it constantly. I mean, all the the bigger companies, like this is what they do. They have, they have millions of users. They want to know like, hey, how's this new thing gonna, gonna be? How are people gonna react to it? And so rather than making that change available to everyone, immediate you know instead just have it roll out to just a few people measure you know have, run that experiment take your measurements and then make decisions based upon that great well i hope that we find our way to, to solving a couple of the problems that not having feature flags has given us over the next month or two here yes indeed it's it's like there's you know we're in a situation where we we have a system that we've been working on for three plus years it's it's very complicated lots of a very large code base, but having feature flags in there would be would really help out with some of the the, the challenges that we face on a day to day basis. So that's going to be the the fun the fun problem for us is like can we can we leverage feature flags more mm -hmm. to deal and with the legacy code base too? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thanks so much for talking about this, and thanks, Rich, for putting this together. Of course. All right. Thanks, guys. Right. Talk to you next week. See ya. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 66. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.